Welcome to the House of Strauss. Yeah, go for it. Stars hang with stars, winners hang with winners. It is House of Strauss. Man, do we have a packed week. We've got John Middlecoff, rising YouTube star, I would say. Someone whose content I consumed on a local level. I would go to John after 49ers games to get his and Guy Haberman's takes. And now he's expanding. He's ever more a presence, not just with your own platforms, but also with Colin Cowherd broadcasting to the universe with Colin. Uh, how you doing? How's the whirlwind of the NFL playoffs? You know, I'm doing good, Ethan. Uh, yeah, it's rocking and rolling. You know, you just get in that mold of the football season. I guess we've kind of got accustomed to the Niners just being good, so it doesn't seem abnormal when they're just, you know, in the second round of the playoffs off a of bye. They've kind of been doing it now. They've won the division a couple times. But other than that, you know, the football season is just kind of like a it's a very systematic weekly setup, right? You just kind of mm. know, you know, Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night football, Tuesday, nothing happens. Wednesday or all the press conferences, you know, from coaches. And then you start getting in the game week. It's like kind of the same thing over and over and over again to sound. Uh, I, I mean, I don't mean to sound like I'm not excited, but you're just kind of in the, the rotation of, of, of football. So you just kind of roll with it. No, you got you to gotta spruce it up. You sound, you sound like Bill Woo! Belichick in a press conference right there. Football, I love <laughs> You got to be like Pat McAfee, where it's almost a little bit like, you know, yes! are you really this excited? <laughs> Join the program. Oh, it's good. I mean, it, the YouTube component, we're going to get into that. I, because it's funny is that you do a lot of football. I enjoy your football commentary, but something I also enjoy is that you and Guy and sometimes on other platforms, you've got a very interesting perspective on media. You're a little bit, you're like a media guy who doesn't consider himself a media guy. Oh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not in the, I'm not in the media. I, I'm, yeah. I'm 100% not in the media. Uh, definitely not a journalist. I mean, the only time I attend games would be, well, now I have partners that are uh, in the ticketing business, but uh, would be when I pay for a ticket. Uh, I, I, I'm 100%. This is about two things. It's about making money and, and growing an audience and entertaining that audience, obviously. But this is I, the media and me. Uh, I, I don't think we see eye to eye. And I'm not even talking like off outside mm. of the scope of sports, but like we're doing different things. I, I view it that way. I don't think you're doing different things, but I know what you're saying. You know, for those who do not know, John came to this business by way of being an NFL scout. So you are from that world in a way that a lot of people in the media aren't. And when you were talking about the Pat McAfee situation, you said something that I thought was very perceptive, which is these guys are comfortable with him, these athletes, because he's one of them. They can just sort of smell it that he's one of them. And that's a distinction. You know, I smell like media. It's not a good smell. I, I feel like that's not, it's not an appealing smell. Even if I consider myself like you, a bit of an outsider's insider or insider's outsider, I'm like a nerdy media guy. Um, and you have a foot in media, but you often have this perspective that I like hearing from because 
you're often coming at it. You're coming at it with the advantage of just seeing it a little bit more like the fan. It's interesting, even though that you've been on the other side of uh, of sports and the fan is, I feel like your perspective is almost populist in a way. Well, I would say that from my upbringing, you know, I, I didn't know anyone in sports, right? Like I, to get this, to get involved mm. in college and I, my cousin had played at Fresno state. So when I, he was a long snapper, you know? So when I got my in, it wasn't like, and listen, Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay and these guys, a Belichick's kid. I, I wish I would have had that, but it was just, I was a fan that wanted to work in football. It wasn't like a way mm-hmm. of life in my family. My, my dad was a farmer and my mom worked at the state Capitol in Sacramento. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's like, it was just something that I was really passionate about. And one thing I realized when I was in uh, my freshman year in college, I interned at Morgan Stanley and realized I'm not smart enough to do something that I don't really like. I, I wouldn't have success. So that's part of the reason <laughs> I was like, I, I just got to work in sports because that's the only thing that like, now obviously it, it's a unique industry where you work weird hours and don't have weekends. And definitely when you're young, you don't make a lot of money. And you know, you went to Cal, I went to Cal Poly. I, I knew a lot of people in their twenties making a lot of money and that that was mm. not the case, even remotely close for me. But I, I think when I, when I got out of, football and into radio and then was forced out of radio and was forced to do this on my own. I mean, I haven't had a W two job beside what I pay myself now in almost a decade. You realize how important, like where all this money comes from, like how how am I going to generate money? Well, it's all fan related. So if you're in the media, if you own a sports team, if you're a player, they provide all the money, all of it. And and the media, sometimes they they hate that. But I mean, a lot of them push back on the fans. Like, where do you guys think this money comes? The, the, the sports rising. Well, why do you think they're paying all that money is for the fucking people watching the game? <laughs> the most powerful people in the NFL right now, which is easily the number one sport, are the people that sit on their couch every single Sunday and Thursday and Monday night. That, that's where yeah. all the money comes from. Like, the, no one cares anymore about the dude sitting. And listen, I, I, I know some season ticket holders, even though that's becoming less and less because it's so easy to pick and choose per game. But like the yeah. guy sitting in the, you know, the second bowl in the third row, like that, that guy's value to the league has diminished exponentially over the last mm. 20 years. Not, not that that guy's not important and he still doesn't make yeah. money, but the sweet holder is infinitely more important than that guy. And the guy sitting on the couch consuming the game is by far the most important con- you know person. And is the reason coaches make 15, 20 million. You know, an average player now can make five or six in the NFL. Star players make 40, 50. Other guys make 20, 30. Like, that, that's where the money comes from. So when I see players, I understand players being young and, you know, fans are screaming. I, I get that relationship. is It's probably unlike many industries in the world. Yeah. But for the media to not understand that, it's kind of crazy. Especially the older you get and the longer you're in an industry, you kind of should understand the flow of the money, right? All the owners get it, right? Mm. <laughs> the, the GMs kind of understand it. So the coaches, yeah. a little like the players, are, are just, you're getting screamed at half the time when you're on the, it's a, it's a unique relationship. So I understand that the pushback there sometimes, but like if, if the older you get, if you can't understand it, then I, I can't, I can't help well, it. You're getting at something so basic that it's almost taken for granted. And I think it's almost this outgrowth of fans will get mad at players. They feel like players owe them something. And they'll say, I pay your salary or we pay your salary. 
And the media impulse is to fight against that, is yeah. to go, that's you, how dare you? Don't do that. You know, we are on the side, you know, and it's this strange thing where that's the crutch. That, that's where the argument starts, right? That that statement yeah. is an uncomfortable statement, even though once you peel the layer back, you're like, well, he's kind of got a point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like you individual guy are just one of millions. You are not paying the salary of this athlete that you're disappointed in. But because there's this want to refute that kind of argument. And I do think a lot of media just kind of collectively as a hive mind, we're sort of nerds and this is a way that maybe we can be cool. And so there's this impulse to defend the athlete against the fan, because then you're more like the athlete, but not really. Uh, but maybe that's what the impulse comes from that. There's no real sense of responsibility promoted, but for a few media members that players owe the fans a certain amount of effort. I mean, that seems like it's fallen by the wayside. That seems like a very 1990s opinion to say, you signed a big contract and we can't have you uh, just giving a shit effort or demanding to be traded. That's something that you should not be doing, given your responsibility to the people who pay your salary and who invest in this. That's just something that people don't say. It seems really unfashionable. And so when you say something like that, it's almost... It's almost shocking. It's like, oh my god! Like you, you're well, talking well, break about down, oh. break down the economics of it because I, I think you, you know, you spend a lot of time around basketball. That's your kind of when you talk about effort. It's a huge, uh, you know, a word that holds on closely to that sport. Are people trying? Mm. Are people trying to win? Does anyone care? That's yeah. not effort. Is not really a thing with football, right? No. Now you have some games that are blowouts. Right, like the Cowboys or whatever. But even the Cowboys getting their ass kicked, you never go, yeah, they didn't really try. They tried to tank. The like, no, they're just like, God, no. what the hell happened there? Like, were, were yeah. the head in the right space? Was the game plan awful? And even till week 18 with some of these teams that were, you know, Belichick trying hard in week 18, clearly he kind of knows he's getting fired. And his team is down nine to three against the Jets in the second half of a, uh, and what does it get back to? The economics, the guarantee contracts. And at any moment, uh, an NFL coach, obviously the coaches, you just look at their resumes. They're moving constantly. But the players all know, right, that at any moment I can get cut, I can get replaced. It doesn't matter. There is no baseball, basketball where I'm on scholarship. It, it truly doesn't exist. I mean, we've seen Peyton Manning and Tom Brady in the last decade cut slash you need to leave. I mean, yeah. they, those are the two best players of my lifetime or definitely of my adult life. And Peyton Manning was shown the door with the neck injury. Somewhat understandable, but that would not have happened in basketball or baseball. And Tom Brady was, you know, not supported by his owner who gave the support in the Wickersham article to Bill. Like, Bill, this is your show. You know why? It's a coach management league, just like society, that if you do not produce or I think that I can upgrade with a cheaper number guy, because it happens all the time. My fourth rounder, even if he's 90% as good as my $10 million guy, well, he only costs nine hundred grand, and maybe in two years he's either equal or slightly better, and that's just a huge economic swing. So, like, I, I never understand when we, you know, I don't argue as much as I did five to ten years ago on, on Twitter, but like a huge part when you talk about sports, and this is the thing that I don't understand with the media. This is <clears throat> the business is such a huge part of this, right? The cap, how much you're paying them. So it's like, well, are you pocket watching? That's something mm -hmm. you see like on social media. Well, yeah, this is. Like how much you pay for something in a salary cap league is kind of an important conversation, 
right? Yeah. It limits how you create a team. Now, if this was baseball, and I understand they got taxes related to, you know, they they, they kind of have a fake cap, but it's clearly less cumbersome of if, you know, you want to be the Yankees or the Dodgers, like you can get really aggressive. In football, there is a hard number that you cannot go beyond. It's why Jerry Jones, like every single year, why does Jerry Jones not really sign many free agents? Because he usually is paying his own guys a lot and he doesn't have any room. Right. I mean, yeah. if not, he would have way better players, I'm sure, because he would probably act like George Steinbrenner or even like Joe Lacob has tried to act. Right. Mm. But he can't. And that's yeah. I think that's what makes football all these unique variables with the contracts, the salary cap, how much power management and coaches just typically have. Right. Until they get fired. And then the next group gets that power. Man, you said a whole lot there. I mean, one of them I'm thinking about is just. You don't want to dwell on how you get shit for doing something because everybody, we're not martyrs, you know, people criticize us. We've got something of a platform that comes with the territory, but I've always been amazed by how much of it I get by just raising the question, are fans, did fans get a bit disenchanted with the NBA? Now, people can feel as though whatever theory I offer isn't the right theory, but it's undeniable that half as many people watch the sport now on network TV. I mean, that's just that, that's just numbers. And so it's just strange where that seems subversive. That seems to be uncomfortable. That seems to be not even a topic that we can just discuss. And to what you're saying, it's like the topic of fan interest and needing to placate the fans in an NBA perspective is a no-no, that that's subversive. It's so strange. I'll offer a theory, which is it might be downstream in part, um, in part downstream from the power of a player in the NBA is so immense that so much energy is devoted to placating, to getting them on your team. And it's almost just infected the entire perspective and made people lose perspective as to how this all works. It's replaced it. When Adam Silver is asked about the in-season tournament and how it's going by Pat McAfee, he says, well, the players like it. They're happy. They're trying. I mean, that's, that's the, it's not even about the customer. Like the customer became ancillary because in the NBA, the player, the superstar is so obviously huge as far as whether you make it or don't. Yeah, I mean, I I have a lot of NBA takes and theories. Like, I understand why the players really love them. I, I would love a guy <laughs> who was pro me, and obviously the the players have never made more money in the history of the league. And yeah. I also understand why when you hear some of the old guys talk, they're, they're like, what the fuck is going on? This is yeah. insane. Because when I was like, I'm a good example. I, I'm not even 40 years old. I grew up under Michael Jordan, basically 15 minutes, minutes away from Arco Arena, uh, which... You know, the Kings, when I was in junior high and high school, were really big deals. So Kobe and Shaq and Phil Jackson versus that that region. My dad was a farmer, so it kind of really just double middle mm. fingers. And I, I don't watch NBA anymore. Now, I consume some of the media. Like, I listen to the podcast, and I'll, I'll keep track of what's going on. But I do not consume the games. I have a pretty good idea, like, what's going on. I couldn't just rattle off wins and losses for every team. But, like, the major stories, who's injured, who's playing well, all that type of stuff. Yeah. And I, I can't, I, there's no chance it's, you know, almost the little past the middle of January that I've watched a full NBA game start to finish, which is a major problem for them because that is their business where obviously it's unique with me with football is I've watched an 
astronomical amount of football games this year. But even if I had, let's just say I was in insurance or in finance or something, I, I would still watch a lot of football games. Maybe not as many. I would skip some Thursday night games, I'm sure. And Monday night games, they were crappy. But I, I would consume a lot mm. of football on Saturday and Sunday. I, I don't think doing, like, I, I don't think I'd watch any more basketball that I'm watching currently. And I'm someone who's a good example. Like, my dad loved basketball. I used to go yeah. to basketball camp as a kid. He used to tell this story when I went to UC Davis basketball camp. Steve Kerr was friends with the coach, Bob Williams, and came in boat shoes and hit like 50 straight threes. And we were all as kids. I don't remember mm-hmm. this, but like, all, and, and I played a, to, up until eighth grade. I've watched it my entire life. And it just, I, I don't know what about it doesn't resonate with me anymore. And I, I think a huge, the tanking, the effort. I, I've never cared how much money people make or whatever. I think Adam Silver is a good example of like, if this was, if you follow just business, if it was a Fortune 500 company and you lost half your consumers in a period of time and you were staring down a, a new contract, which literally pays for the league and it was looking pretty, right, dark, <laughs> it wasn't mm. a positive time. Yeah. I, I would, what, what percentage of CEOs would survive that? A small very, percentage? Very few. Very few. Very few. And, uh, and you sent me the text yesterday about the NFL that overall television in this country is down, right? And, yeah. Which makes sense. We have spread out things. We have way more options to consume. Obviously, our phone plays a big role in that. Yet the NFL is up, and they benefit from you know gambling. Uh, you know, like you could try to force people to gamble, and you know, baseball and basketball. They're just never going to do it like no. the NFL, and that's been the case for fifty years. But uh, there, there's an urgency level to the sport. That just you, the other teams or the other leagues with their excess inventory can't duplicate. But there's another thing like you you can't, and clearly the NBA pushed back about players playing. Like, I I don't know if you saw that viral video about the person going to see Steph. Who knows? People make it up or not. But I do know countless people who have taken their kid, their young son, who's somewhere between six and 10, to see either Steph Curry or LeBron James in the Sacramento area, or even the Golden State over the period. I, I don't even blame necessarily the players. It, it's a league-wide problem, yeah. but they did not play. Like, and that is something you never yeah. forget because most media, and this is the other thing they don't know, how much these tickets cost. Even if yeah. you have money and are successful. like It's like, damn, I'm paying this? Like, it's a lot yeah. of money to go to a game. for not. You ain't sitting you know, next to Joe Lacob for $1,000. Yeah. And the NBA is more a sport where the guy in the stands matters versus the NFL where like the, yeah, where the TV, the TV money is nearly everything, but it's all downstream of that lack of urgency. And it's funny that they all went in on this gold rush of the gambling money, all these leagues. And I mean, it's this get rich quick mentality, this feeling that we can make an easy buck off the new gold rush. But you're not, it's all downstream of the interest. It's all downstream of the guy on the couch. If people aren't interested, they're not going to gamble on it. You're not going to, it really seemed like a couple of years ago, the mentality is we are going to rejuvenate interest in our inventory sports, NBA and MLB with gambling. It doesn't work that way. The only people betting Hawks Grizzlies on a Monday night are I don't know either degenerates or professional gamblers. It's a tiny, tiny percentage. It's minuscule. It's not going to do it for you. Maybe some people will. It's not going to be. It's not going to be the haul that the NFL is going to get. Why was the NFL able to 
paywall Chiefs Dolphins. It's because it's a playoff game. It's a game of consequence. We're talking about whether Tua is even good, whether the Dolphins should even have him anymore because of how that game went. That's what compels people to pay money. And I mean, the the NBA just I, I, yeah, I mean, just has not been in doesn't hurt either. Oh, yeah, that's also Taylor Swift. That's the other theory. Yeah. Somebody asked me whether, you know, how much of it was the Taylor Swift effect. And and I just felt like that's got to be that's got to be marginal. I mean, let's go to the topic. let's go to the peacock thing. That's a good example, because yeah. I had a couple cocktails and was arguing with fans. And then I woke up the next day like I understand as whether you make a million dollars a year or whether you make thirty thousand dollars a year. You're like, this is ridiculous. And, and it really like I understand where you're coming from. But there were a ton of people that work in the business. Like, guys, if you're over 40, 45 years old, you've seen the business of newspapers dying, radio's dead. Mm-hmm. It was like, we got to pivot to video. And everyone's like, can't pivot to video. Well, it's like, clearly that was the right move. NBC mm-hmm. News is in shambles. These networks are falling apart. So if yeah. the streaming service does not work, they cannot continue. So if you're the NFL, they host the number one television show in America Sunday night on NBC. For, the, for that network, like this is not my grandma's television. Fox, NBC, CBS, ABC, those are never going to be constructed as they have been moving forward. The, the Super Bowl is going to be streamed. You could make the argument in less than 10 years. Like buckle mm. up, get ready. But the NBC with the Peacock, like I get the average dude sitting home like this is stupid. But the, this is not some sinister move, them trying to bleed you dry. It's If Peacock does not work for NBC, we're going to fucking go under. This is going to be over. Now, it might be seven years, could be 15 years, but we are headed like all these other situations of a major problem because the cost that we have to pay to be in business with the only thing that truly matters for us, the NFL, we got to make money. And listen, that's they're doing that. Like there have been sinister things in regards to leagues and television. To me, that is more of a survival thing. And the NFL understands that because they've been in business now with streaming for a couple of years. And everyone's kind of rowing down the same stream, right? The NFL, I guess, could have pushed back and said, you got to put this on the broadcast beside the two, you know, it was on in Miami and Kansas City, but for the whole nation. But I think they understand, especially the kids of the owners, like maybe Jerry mm. or Robert Kraft, Robert Kraft. But I bet Jonathan Kraft and Steven understand it. Why? They got kids under 20 years old. Like they see the way the world's going. Like this is so for the media people, like, listen, Florio can be a little off the wall, but even he had takes like, guys, how are you guys complaining? You guys working? You see where everything's yeah. going. It just drives me. And listen, maybe, I, and this is where I push back on being in the quote unquote under the umbrella is maybe at journalism school where a lot of these people went, they teach you nothing about business. And a lot of these people, I would guess, grew up in more academically driven homes. Not saying that like my parents were big on academics. I just mean that mm. worked in the academic field and are just kind of anti-business and, and don't even want to understand it which is crazy to me because if you cover pro sports we're talking billion dollar businesses that's the whole fucking yeah. point of the whole thing i i have to defend my interests john i mean that's what's crazy i have to defend we don't even get to the point where we can talk about some of the things i talk about on my site i've got to defend the right to do it on the basis of it even mattering which is crazy to me where people go oh ratings talk ratings oh my god it's so tiresome it's so tiresome to talk about whether the customer enjoys the product 
I mean, that's tiresome. Knowing what human behavior is, that's tiresome. Seeing what works versus what doesn't, what's really connecting, what's resonating with people, that's tiresome. Well, who's, the, it, who's, the some, top, who's the top company, would you say, like in the world right now? Amazon? What are they? Yeah. The most customer friendly? Like anything yeah. you need, you need to return anything. That's always been Bezos' thing. We're not even going to make money forever. It's going to be cheap to ship it to you. Isn't that like the number one goal in business to have loyal customers who keep coming back and back and growing? I mean, that's the whole point of this whole thing. I mean, look, you don't have to be interested in what I'm interested in. You don't have to be interested in what John's interested in. There are people who just like these games on the basis of the games. I would make a beyond business argument that I'm interested on a cultural level. I like when people like the sports I'm into because it's fun when I'm visiting family to discuss them. There's a connectivity yeah. to it all, but there is an aspect in sports media, especially in the sports where maybe the interest has not been there as much recently of putting your hands over your ears and going la 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 when these topics are, 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 are talked about not being realistic to what you're saying about what the future is bringing. And yeah, I, it's not fun to pay for streaming services. I obviously can't shit on people paying the paywall. Uh, but to what you're saying, yeah, I mean, that's that's where this is headed. It's headed for a reason. It's headed because the cable bundle, if it's not collapsing, it's declining. These networks are just these weird warehouses. They're almost like empty arenas right now that the NFL just happens to fill. When the Chiefs had that game over there in Europe, I think it might have been against the Dolphins in the regular season. It, yeah, it was. I think it, it was in Germany. It was on early in the morning. Yeah, six thirty. I think Pacific Standard Time. Ninety-four percent of the televisions that were on in the Kansas City market were watching that game. Now, part of that is a story about how big the NFL is and how big it is in Kansas City. Part of it is a story about how small the competing television programming is. Because back in the day, if this was 15 years ago, you would have people watching their morning local news, whatever, tuned to other things. It's an empty warehouse right now that the only things that will, will really fill that arena, it's the stuff that compels payment, that compels people leaning forward and really wanting to know the result of. That's the reality we're in. Well, the other reality with the sport of football, one thing we learned in like 2020, depending on where you live, like there were a lot of empty football stadiums Even in the South. They they filled it. But in some of the stadiums, remember, did like the 30 percent, like think how stupid that was looking mm. back. But mm. football is the one sport that if they didn't sell an, a seat for the next five years. Now, it sucks as a viewer. We learned that right there. There's a huge element mm. to having a crowd there but would be relatively unfaced. I mean, they would be less rich, but like the, the money, their salary cap this year, I think is like $225 million. I, I could be off five or $6 million either way, but they got from the media rights. I, I'm pretty sure around $400 million. So your salary mm -hmm. cap, your players are your biggest expense, right? Well, then you still have $170 million to deal with. Well, after your coaching staff, which is your second biggest expense, you're not paying a lot of guys in the organization that much money. Scouts, you know, ticket sales guys, some dudes that work in marketing and equipment. Like you have such a the amount of extra money you have af after paying everybody, even if you didn't make a penny from your stadium, uh, they don't even break a sweat. So that means obviously some owners in the NFL and the way you finance deals 
cash up front or non-cash up front. Like you can manipulate it. And clearly some guys have more money than other guys, but even Mm. the guys with zero outside business, like Mark Davis, uh, a Mike Brown that owns the Bengals, this dude in, in Scottsdale, uh, Bidwell, right. That aren't, you know, big moguls outside and have billions of dollars can easily pay players. And it's just like the economics of the league are all based on the television that as long as those television games, it's why during COVID they had to get the games going. That that's pays for everything, and uh, they weren't as dependent on people in, in the stands. So I, I just think they're they're league now. I'm also as being a football guy, I've lived through enough ebb and flows of sports. Like when I was really really young, baseball was huge. So I, yeah. I, I am by no means just like staking my claim that football is going to be king for my entire life for the next forty years. But clearly, in the for for the foreseeable future. And even as the economics of the television industry change, they feel pretty bulletproof right now, right? With the way people, mm. it's the only thing we all agree on that we kind of have to consume. Yeah. Because like you said, socially, then it comes up a lot. I'm in the steam room the other day <laughs> with like five naked guys, most between probably 40 and 75. And people are talking Belichick and the Cowboys. Now, the game had just happened. It's obviously very yeah. timely. But would that happen Beside like with a local regional sport, like if the Diamondbacks or the Giants or wherever you lived were in the World Series or something for sure, but something that no connection to those those people. Yeah. Right. A lot of them probably from different areas of the country or or this area. And it's I mean, it was a hot button topic like Belichick has to do this. And people are like wait till Philly loses and just the conversations mm. which excite me. But uh, but that's something that I think you get wherever you go. Like people have opinions on football it just isn't the case with these other sports, but it used to be the case. Well, I think locally, John, the Warriors have that. The Warriors have that where I am in locations and I will hear people this year, especially just complaining. And is that coming down the home stretch, though? If this whole thing just so. kind of ends? I think so. I don't think it's permanent. I think when I mean, recently, local ratings again. Uh, the Warriors uh, in recent seasons are more than twice the second team when it comes to uh, local viewership, which is really interesting considering it's a big market. It's not the sort of diehard sports market that you would encounter. But but, but it actually is, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the 49ers are, beside the Cowboys, you could make a legitimate argument they're the number two brand in the NFL. They're definitely a top five brand in the NFL. And the Giants... Yeah, well, while while they're fickle, I mean, they have to be competitive. When they are competitive, they, they are a massive cash cow, and their interest is really high from, you know, San Jose through Sacramento. Now, they have yeah. to be good, and I think the same thing with the Warriors have to be good. The 49ers just have such a long history. I mean, the Giants do, too. The, the Warriors just do not. Yeah. To me, they're they're a little le- – if Steph Curry just disappeared after the season, they would they would be in major trouble, right? They, w- they would be, but I also think that he – Similar to the Dallas Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys of the 90s creating all these fans who are around our age right now who are Cowboys fans. I feel like Steph Curry probably did some of that for the Warriors. But yeah, they're they're a team. But you don't. I mean, mean, Clay and Draymond played a big role in that. Like, yeah. But to what you're saying, you don't have those sorts of conversations where people are talking about what's going on with the coach of the Celtics and, you know, what's going on with the Mavericks. That's not really happening locally at all. And it speaks to the NFL having this wide, having, having this just, just wide penetration to society. But 
This Lo- locally, is, then they, they don't talk about like it, those are topics that actually would get people interested. Wait, this guy got fired for what? Wait, Mark Cuban selling for what? Like that should be a really <laughs> like uh, th- those are the type of conversations that football people gravitate to attack, you know, kind of yeah. like politics. Like there's no one's off limits. And then people all have an opinion. NBA is like, we can't touch that. Well, those this are the topics a, that people want to talk about. It's a great point. This is a great point. And I was just going to ask you this. There's a comfort with firing coaches in the NFL. There's a comfort with it, with talking about it, that you do not see in the NBA. The distinction is crazy. I watch these playoffs. McCarthy loses. The Cowboys get beat in humiliating fashion. They had a really good season. He's had a really good run of seasons. And people are going, he's got to go. He's got to go. Nick Sirianni, he was in the Super Bowl came very close to winning the Super Bowl less than a year ago. And people are saying, hey, it's time to get out of here. He's got to go. And this isn't just some people. This is most most media members who offer takes on this sort of thing. The question is put to them. And it's no mercy, no malice. But he's got to go. The Detroit Pistons might be the worst team of all time. And you don't see people in NBA media saying, Hey, you got to fire Monty. You got to fire him. It's over. Like, what do you make of that difference? I, I mean, I, I hate to, I'm not trying to be a dick here, but there is just a softness, you know, I don't know if they're, it's hard to describe in the NBA. Like there are a lot of different connections. It, It feels like everyone feels like they work for the league. It, whether that's true or not, but the, definitely the way it's covered. Obviously, you could say racial undertones of just being afraid to be critical of, but it's like people say like Mike Tomlin sucks every day. So it yeah. doesn't exist in the NFL. I, I just think there's a gloves off mentality in the NFL that is actually just much more relatable to real life, right? If you yeah. just don't get it done, people get rid of you. It's it's just about production. No one cares. No one cares about feelings. Think about the sport. You're constantly getting screamed at from coaches. Coaches are screaming at each other. Everyone's at each other's necks. There's a little kumbaya nature in the NBA. It's like, well, we're all making money. We're all on scholarship because Monty Williams, like I just signed for $90 million. So fire me, whatever. I don't care. Like no one really cares. It's kind of, I don't want to say apathetic, but they're just like, ah, in the NFL, Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season. And I personally think it's time for a divorce. But I'm sure you saw the clip of the person asking about his contract. He's got one year left. Yeah. He storms off. The Pittsburgh Steelers, like the Cowboys and the Niners, enormous brand. And it's just gloves off. Like, is he going to stay? Would they fire him? Could they yeah. trade him? And it's just nonstop. And it's I, honestly, it's refreshing. It's the only, yeah. maybe baseball talks about it like that. I don't follow it that closely. But basketball and football couldn't be any more on the polar opposite end of the it, spectrum it, in the way they're covered and talked about. It means somebody cares, and it might be too much. I was just on a podcast. It's uh, it, it's guys who are at Wharton, and it's sports and it's business, and they're Philadelphia guys, and they were talking about, hey, if they had just won, if the Eagles had just won, it could have gone either way against the Cardinals in the regular season, then their whole situation's different. You know, we might be seeing this whole thing way different than what we're seeing, and isn't it crazy to base hiring and firing decisions when you have these small sample sizes that can change everything. And I said to them, basically, yes, I see what you're saying. Uh, it's crazy that Sean McDermott would have been fired on the tarmac if not for uh, an off an offsides call that they almost never call that called back the Chiefs touchdown in the regular season. And now he can be safe again. But you're going to miss that if that's gone. 
like, you know, I get what you're saying, that there's some irrationality here and that maybe it's overly harsh at times and maybe it's overreactive, but it is illustrative of us all caring and there being true suspense that reputations are invariants, that jobs are invariants. And if that's gone, man, you lose a whole lot of it. And you could be the smart guy. You could be the analytical rationalist, cool-headed, saying, don't overreact. You guys are being irrational. You're overreacting to small sample size, but you won't want the absence of something to react to. I love it that it's in the NFL the way it is. I think if Brock Purdy goes out there and has a terrible game, there's going to be an unfair, disproportionate reaction to it, but that's part of why I'm invested because I yeah. know that his reputation's in variance. Because it gets back to that, was it was it Christmas or thanks? It was Christmas uh, against the Ravens, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could argue there were some freak tips, but you could also argue that that just could not happen in that moment. So the overreaction, mm-hmm. the microscope of people watching in a primetime game gets multiplied by significant amount of people during these playoffs. And easily, Kyle and Brock have a ton of, ton of, you know, pressure coming. You could argue they have the most of any team because even the Ravens, for yeah. example, like their star quarterback is a star. There's a second MVP and he's under contract. Like we, yeah. he's established. He's really good. Like there are still valid question marks on Purdy. Like, can he do this for seven straight years? Can they do this if he once gets paid? Like there are valid questions, but those are the things getting back to why the NFL is so big. We know basically every fan of every team can name both coordinators. So you, mm. you not only have players that are stars, if you just look at the characters in sports, right? Because this is a television show. You have the the star quarterback or the quarterback, if he's not a star, like he's well-known, and the coach are major players. And then some of your other star players, depending on your team at different positions. And then the moment offense or defense kind of comes off the train tracks, that offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator is then treated as an equal to the head coach. And you could argue sometimes they're talked about more. So you just have you have these added characters that I think, for example, the other sports, basketball, baseball pays their uh, uh, managers like less than some podcasters. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like you're paying this guy 700 grand. Everyone acknowledges he doesn't do anything. He gets it. No one. It just creates like I don't even need to pay attention to this guy. Where in football, the average cord every coordinator in the league makes over a million dollars. And the average good, you know, like the above average coordinators, which are probably the top 10 in both, are making anywhere from two to five. Some of the older yeah. veteran defensive coordinators are making three to five million dollars. So there's when, when I just tell that and fans read this, it feels big. It's like, wait, this guy's making more than a lot of the players on the team. And he's an assistant coach. And then my coach, like you fire Pete Carroll. He got fired or Belichick. I think it's fair to assume Belichick was over $20 million a year with the amount of money mm. and success he had had. And Pete was probably somewhere between 50 and 20 million. There's a small number of people on their team that make more money. So like the coaches yeah. are just such big rock stars in, in this whole thing. And uh, not even sure why we got off on this tangent, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I just think it, it's just there's something interesting about the expectations and the stakes of it all, I think, is what the conversation is. Someone, someone DM me the other day, for example, they're like, I'm a big Eagles fan. And it's it's impossible to argue that like Nick Sirianni shouldn't be fired. Like what we witnessed down the stretch was like, this was insane. Hmm. But are we in jeopardy if we fire this guy to be like the Jets, to be like all these crappy teams, the Raiders that are always running through coaches? I say, well, 
I would say you guys even having a lot of turnover with your coach, they've had three straight guys, you know, Chip, Doug Peterson, now Nick Sirianni, if he's fired, which I think he's going to be, that you guys always make the playoffs. So to me, you operate more like one of these just aggressive businesses that are well run. Like when I look at the Jets, I look at like kind of a disaster. When I look at the Eagles, if they fire them, I'd be like, yeah, they clearly not only lost hope in them, they didn't think he was any good anymore. Yeah. Like they have the infrastructure, they've proven the next guy would be like, yeah, I bet they're competing for the playoffs next year. So they, I, I would say they're somewhat of a unique situation, right? Like yeah. the Warriors, let's, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to base this on Twitter, but clearly their season's not going very well. Let's just say Kerr, I doubt he would be fired, but just like, let's just go our separate ways. I'm kind of over this. The chance mm. that they get a guy who's any good, I would say, you know, you would flip a coin, right? And probably the yeah. chances of that guy being well below average, I'm not even comparing him to Steve, and it could be a disaster. That's no same thing about, about football. But the difference is right now in football, you have people that you know are good, right? Like the Eagles would be like, well, why don't we just hire Belichick, <laughs> right? <laughs> I would push back right there. I think that might be an instance as much as we have complimented the atmosphere around football and made a contrast to the NBA. Um, I think there could be a halo effect right there where people are not realistic about what somebody in their in their 70s, in their 1970s, how am I even talking, but how people in their 70s are at a disadvantage. One of the interesting things to observe with the NFL is the rise of these coaches in their late 30s, early 40s. And it, it's almost been an example because this, this is, I think, is the heart of our conversation because people actually care. When it comes to football, football is the American product that people care about most. The results are real. The whatever quote about uh, money talks, bullshit walks, that's going on. And so in a lot of industries, in a lot of industries, there's a bottleneck and the ossifying, the decaying industries, the young and the hungry who could do a great job are blocked from doing so. You know, a Disney's in trouble. Let's bring back Bob Iger, who's in his 70s to save it. I don't think it's going to be saved. I don't think it's going to go well. I would say Belichick is one of the, he's the greatest coach of all time, but there's probably somebody else who do a better job right now, just given his age. And I mean, have they been good in a half decade? I mean, am, am, am I crazy for looking at that and going, you're paying him for what he used to do and you should probably be realistic about his ability to do it again. I would say one question you would always have with older people that are really successful would be the amount of wealth they've accumulated. How could they have the same desire? So mm. the level of money Bob Iger has in the bank now, and what does he really need to prove? If this doesn't go well, is it really going to stick to his resume? Or, or Bill Belichick in his 70s. Now, I, I can't speak for Bob Iger, his work ethic, but I, I remember after Andy won the Super Bowl, right, which was a really big deal against the 49ers, I, I went to the NFL Combine. And I talked to a buddy that's on the staff and I was like, have you noticed anything different? He's like, no, man. And this was mm -hmm. maybe a year after. And I think they, they yeah. lose the next year to Tampa Bay. He's like, this guy's work ethic, like he's the same guy that he was. He'd been working with him for 15 years that he, he's zero difference. Like yeah. these guys work ethic and love. Cause this gets back to like following your passion. It's easier to work hard when you like what you do. And to me, Belichick's downfall is always going to be offense. And a couple years ago with Mac Jones as a rookie, they made the playoffs. Now they were a wild card and they got their ass kicked by the bills. But if bill had been making the playoffs every year, like I don't think he's run out of town. It was like, they got to be a mm -hmm. three, four win team. And it, it was like easy to run them out of town. And everyone was saying, Robert Kraft wanted his team back. Bill can be an asshole. Totally get it. It's easy to run them out when you suck. 
but he lost Josh McDaniels, who, as we found out, is clearly an awful head coach. But he's an incredible number two. And I've always said this about the NFL. You know, I, I always thought Todd Bowles, who just destroyed the Eagles, was a great number two. The best part about being a number two in the NFL is you only have to deal with half the problems. And really, you don't, the GM and the head coach, even deal with the problems on your side of the ball in terms of like they get a DUI or they're late for a meeting. Like you don't even have to deal with that. You just have to coach. And it pays millions of dollars. And you usually get a three or four year contract over 10 million. This is the number two. Yeah. So I, I think when you look at Belichick, he gets his number two back. Like Josh is never going to be a head coach again. And Belichick would immediately hire him as offensive coordinator. Bell, Bill proved this year, I think they set an NFL record. Uh, well, they did, because I remember when it happened. They were the first team in the NFL to lose three games. I think it ended up, it, it, it turned out not to be four because the Jets scored late in mm-hmm. the Week 18 game. But they lost three games where they held the opponent to 10 points or under. Like defensively, yeah. he's still elite, and his team down the stretch was playing really hard. Their offense was a disaster. Well, if he gets his offensive coordinator back and you give him Jalen Hurts or Dak Prescott, like they will not suck, and they will not. His teams never look like that. Like preparation, just having the group, getting rid of you know the hard part in the NFL is, and this is like any sport, but definitely in football, you get a guy who probably a pretty big pain in the ass. Right, I think the, the Steelers have that, and the George Pickens, the wide receiver, oh, yeah. but he's by far oh, the best player at your position. But you're constantly like every other week something happens, then it comes up in the media, and the players are mad, and you got to kind of like you, you kind of got to walk like a, a fine line of being hard on him, but I can't bench him because he's the best. Bill's great at just like replacing, moving, but he, he's unfazed by any of that stuff. He's very old school that way. And uh, like he's the least liberal of all the like Pete Carroll was like, come on in, Andy Reid. Like they're very open minded. Bill's very draws a line in the stand very fast. I think Kyle Shanahan is a lot like that, like does not play mm-hmm. with screwing around. And I, I think Bill would immediately some of these teams like they would win and they would win. I think they would like compete for the Super Bowl. I, I, I really do. Like I just think mm-hmm. his offense is such a major question mark. Well, he has his little minion in Josh McDaniels, who they've had all the success with. If he didn't exist, I'm with you. I'd be like, yeah, a little risky. Like, who's yeah. going to be his offensive coordinator? Because he's only going to hire one of his guys. But one of his guys is literally right there. You're making a great point. And I'm fascinated by Belichick and how... Just so are these owners. I mean, he's going to be the most He's going to be the most highly sought after 72-year-old W-2 employee that makes over $20 million <laughs> in the history of the world. Even, even more than Iger. Uh, he, it's just... I'm fascinated by his perspective. The Wickersham article was incredible. I mean, all the dirt in that situation and how Brady winning the Super Bowl seemed to really drive just this divide between Belichick and Kraft and seemed to break trust. But my perspective on Belichick is that he doesn't even view offensive players as real. I think he just views them as these... uh, you know, these pussies. They, they, I feel like he never respected Brady. There are so many clips where he's talking with Brady or they're breaking something down. It doesn't really feel like a mutually respectful situation. And Bill's got stars in his eyes when he's talking about Ray Lewis or Ed Reed. He just yeah. talks with a reverence. But Lawrence, Lawrence Taylor, Taylor, he obviously. won't let anyone talk about Lawrence Taylor. No, you know. no. I just, it just, he views that, he views that as real football. And so I think, yeah, to what you're saying, Left, but, but that, that's his baby. Uh, like it, it'd be like me, yeah. you know, shitting on the, the 
the, the occupation of writing to you or Kawakami <laughs> or something like I, I would expect you to take a lot of pride in it, even though you have to yeah. expand. You got to start doing podcasts, you got to start doing mm. other things like the basis of Belichick's success is a defensive coach. Now, he, yeah. I, I would say, yeah, he just he doesn't treat Brady with kid gloves. But I, I, I do think he he's never going to outwardly, especially in press conferences and when he's a head coach just be that way with offensive players. But I think he would be the first, you know, Julian Edelman's the Rob Gronkowski, some of the offensive linemen and obviously Tom, because even in the Wickersham thing, they spent that 20 minutes in the visitors locker room or in that special area where he kind of told Tom, like, I don't know if he essentially apologized because that's not Belichick's deal, but said like, you were better off going there. And they had a moment. Mm -hmm. And Tom, when he was just fired slash retired slash forced out, like Tom was kind of have been in tears a couple of times. Like I I think Tom football coach and their player, the, the old school guys, the dudes that have, you know, started coaching in like the 60s and the 70s, it's a little different relationship than just modern day sports. And it's hard to like, yeah, I think he's proven he's changed because he still can coach a 22 year old guy. But I think his relationship to the player is still caught in some of that world. Yeah, yeah, there definitely was a generational shift. I just think that Belichick might not have known what he had in Brady. Um, and how could you? You're together for two decades. You don't have you don't have the ability to really have that sort of perspective. And now there's clarity to it, given what has happened since then, I would have to think. I would say, though, the history of the sport, though, and Tom, Mm -hmm. you know, he's 35, 38, 40. You're like, I'm just shorting him like a stock because it always ends. And Tom, Mm -hmm. I would say, is probably the most unique outlier we may never, we may ever see again in the NFL. Look at Aaron Rodgers, who's like better athlete in great shape. Achilles pops. Like what if Tom's Achilles would have popped Belichick would have been immediately proven right, but it just never really happened. And by the way, this is small sample size. That play where the Achilles popped was a play where it looked like the last season of Aaron Rodgers, where somebody was open. I think Wilson was just wide open right in front of him and he turned it down and he tried to get away. And it just felt like a manifestation of how he just was not the same guy. After being MVP, the music appeared to stop for him. Um, and that is typically how it goes. And Brady made it feel like maybe these, these guys can just go in perpetuity and you could see, you could see how Belichick, uh, could have underestimated him. I'm that situation's interesting. Uh, let's see what topic are we going to go for, uh, for closing out on? I feel like asking you Packers Niners, that's what you do for a living. That's too, you know, that's too, that's too much a uh, conversation. We don't know. That's the thing. It's a big damn deal. We're very excited for it. I think I would rather maybe, um, ask you more about being an emerging YouTuber and your sort of uh, your view of the YouTube economy. I was shocked by David Lombardi, the beat writer for the athletic for the Niners. You mentioned to me that he's big on YouTube and I looked and I went, Oh my God, look at these views. I mean, could I have John, could I have been doing this when the warriors were at their height? And I just didn't know that you could just be huge on, on YouTube covering a team. This is a whole new element. Well, he, he, I have a theory behind it. When I was, let's say I was a 21-year-old in college, huge sports fan, and I loved the 49ers. Well, when I was in college, every day at Cal Poly, I would swing by the Mart, and I would grab, like, uh, the Chronicle and the Sacramento Bee as I got, like, my breakfast burrito or whatever. I walked on a campus, and I would keep mm-hmm. track of the beat writers, what was going on. That was, that was the only way, right? Well, in 2024, what's the likelihood that a guy – if you if you love the team, right? Any of these sports, uh, YouTube is an I think the second biggest search engine 
behind Google, which yeah. they literally own. And obviously, video is so massive to a younger generation. My guess would be that's just how I consume my beat yeah. reporting, you know? And yeah. it makes a lot of... And I, I, he's not alone, right? I, I think I would imagine any of the younger progressive people that realize that are doing similar stuff, doing the reporting, putting all... If you're in the locker room, you just post talking to Nick Bosa, talking to whoever. And that's how the consumer, not my mom, who still you know gets seven papers to her house, but the, the dude that's 20 years old, maybe 25, may, maybe even 30, definitely 15, right? Definitely 15. So I, I just think it kind of speaks to where everything's going. And this gets back to remember years ago, all the executives like we're pivoting to video and everyone's like, you mm. can't do that. And it's like, well, yeah. yeah, you can, because that is literally what the consumer wants. I, I, yeah. I truly believe that. Like I, yeah. I, I it, I'm not proud to say this, but I've, I've never read less, but I've never learned more. Right. Mm. I, 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 I do have consume a ton of audio books. I watch a ton of YouTube. Whenever yeah. I have an idea or thinking about something or should I invest in this company? Like I can just find anything out on YouTube where I used to probably would have searched an article 10, 15 years ago, you know, would have maybe read magazines that way to gain information. I, I just do it differently. Now I don't necessarily cover or follow a team through YouTube per se, but I would imagine a lot of younger, the younger generation 100% does and will continue to do that for the foreseeable future. Well, Let's cut a YouTube style clip right now. Something that Mays could put a little caption on um, a, a topic of controversy because on the basis of what I've written when it comes to the NBA and their rights, you go further than I would go. You are making the kind of call that I would analogize to the big short and that Michael Burry character where everybody in business sports media has the expectation that the NBA TV rights deal, the new one they sign, is going to be more so. They were leaking that it's going to be triple to CNBC. I don't think that's the expectation that they are going to triple their rights considering eh, it's looking a little bit shaky right now. They're getting crushed by the NFL on Christmas. But most people think it's going to be more so. Why do you think that it's going to shrink when the conventional wisdom right now is that it's going to be more so than it was when they signed in 2014. Well, let me just say that before I get into my negative spin, that there is clearly a value for some of these networks like ESPN to have inventory. You need things to put on television. Mm -hmm. So there is a value there that is unquantifiable. But clearly their last deal was enormous right, was record setting, was, I remember at the time reading, like, this is really yeah. big, and clearly you see what these guys are making. It has been an incredible financial windfall for the gener for the Steph Curry, Giannis, Jokic, kind of that group, to Tatum, to all that whole group that's playing, Damian Lillard, Clay. I mean, these guys are making historic amounts of money. But I'm in a business, right, I, I have less people watching than a Laker Warrior game, but if I have 100,000 people watch or listen to one of my shows and we sell it to an advertiser. Say th this happens. I do this five times a week. So you do the math and over the course of a month and this, is how many people unique listens or whatever. And they buy it. Let's just pick an even number, $10,000, mm. right? For a month, they give me $10,000 for a month. Well, if when we do that, for, we sign a year contract, right? So it'd be 120 grand. Well, if next year they go, okay, we want to re up. What, what were your numbers, you know, for the last four months or we saw a little mm. decline? I'm like, well, actually now instead of a hundred thousand people listening, 
I have 53,000 people listening. Hmm. There is no chance that they would pay the same rate when the numbers have diminished by that number, right? It'd be one thing like, hey, listen, it's been, you know, there's a little recession going on. My numbers dip by yeah. 7%. Like, let's just keep rolling. We like the relationship. We like you. You push a lot of product. Everything's good. Or hell, maybe they're like, listen, we, we want to be in the John Middlecoff business. We will even add 10%, right? You, you might see a swing either way. But if it mm. got cut in half, whatever anyone's doing, and I think this is very relatable because most people are in an industry where they're selling something, right? And it's at a number based on a certain whatever you're giving them or whatever they're going to get from that. Well, if that value, whatever that may be, whether it's listeners, whether it's viewers, whether it's a car, whether it's medical equipment, diminishes by half, how? Especially now where they're, where everyone's admitting, well, we've spent a lot of money. We don't have the same amount of money to spend. Mm. All the tech companies, this is the reason I knew radio when I got forced out of radio and into the business I'm in now, which is like you, all based on numbers, realize, well, how are they going to compete? I know exactly where all my listeners are. I know how many listens by every second, right? And over the course of a month, over a year, I can get so specific. They got no chance to compete. And this is where the NBA goes, well, we'll just go to Amazon, Apple, and uh, Netflix. Mm. Well, their whole thing is based specifically on every yeah. single human, where ratings have always been like, yeah, I think like 20 million people, maybe 15, maybe 28. When that 23 million people, mm. I don't know, I didn't read too deep on it, but that 23 million people signed up, was that what they essentially what they're I saying? I think it's 23. I think you, we're talking probably about 8 million sign up if I had to guess. And you're talking people about like me already of, had it. Yeah. Out of home. And, you know, there are a lot of people who have Peacock. I mean, it's a little, there's a totally they different thing. Where, yeah. They've got the details. We don't have the details. All we really know is that in the industry, people look at it as a huge success for Peacock. Okay. Let's even, we won't even talk about it. Let's just say how many people... Let's say Netflix puts up the number one trending movie. I'll just pick The Equalizer, three. Yeah. They put that number mm. one. They know exactly over a seven-day span how many people clicked on that, watched it, and for how long every single individual watched that. Where in the TV business, they have no clue any of that shit. It's yeah. all it, – radio has even less of a clue, right? So it's, it's all like an educated guess based on small sample sizes – so you're telling me that these people that are all based on the most specific data in the history of the world, like it's impossible to get any more specific than what they had based, in, you know, in the television broadcast industry, that they're going to overpay dramatically for something that is clearly diminishing in value. Like when the Pac-12 turned down the contract, right, once like uh, based on subscriptions, like they were going to get... $30 million from Apple, and then if you signed up, it could go up to 50 million people. I understand why the SEC or Big Ten wouldn't just take their like 70 million a pop, but I mm. think that if one of those people were forward-thinking and got into business with Apple, because they would have been like, okay, we will match that number, 60 million a school, and if you get X number of subs, it can go to 100, 150 million. Mm. Can you imagine the SEC and the Big Ten, those schools, how easily it would be to get signups and how much money they could have made. Now it would have been ballsy because yeah. there would have been some unknown, but I promise you it would have worked because yeah. it was like Alabama's playing Georgia. You don't think they're getting some signups or Ohio state's playing Wisconsin. And that's the thing we talk about with basketball where 
it could have been a regular season. We've seen it with Amazon Prime. Like half the yeah. regular season Amazon Prime games are terrible. I watch it because I have to do it for work. But like if that's just the NBA, like last night I clicked on, it was kind of, you know, Embiid and Jokic. It's like, oh, I'll watch the game. fourth quarter of this game. But like if that game had just been on pick one of the streaming services, how many people would have watched? How many people would sign up to watch that game? Even if you are in Denver or Philly, I, I think that's not a fair it's to not go seven not figures. It's not seven figures, and it might which is be, a problem for the yeah. the health of the business moving forward. And this gets back to, I'm sure you saw the all in clip of Shamoth going like, I think the the rights are fucked. I and he didn't it. specifically say basketball, but he was just talking in general. Which yeah. I I'd push back. Well, football just signed a ten year deal at an enormous number, so they're set. Basketball. He's mm-hmm. essentially saying, I'm shorting the NBA, and he did. He yeah. sold his stock for a huge return. Mark Cuban. Like, mm. was Mark Cuban going broke or like in 2020 or excuse me, 2000 when there might have been an element of luck? I've never really heard him talk. Yeah. Like, I don't know if it was luck. He got out the right time. This one, he's been around long enough to know, like, oh, this is a pretty good deal. The Bucks yeah. owner, who's really successful guy. So, like, these guys are all on successful teams, making a lot of money. And they're are they seeing this headwind? Like, because when mm. an NFL owner sells, it's like, well, they forced out Jerry Richardson. This guy wanted out. This guy died. It's never like, yeah, this yeah. guy just economically has some questions, right? Yeah. And that's what it feels like in the NBA. And they said it on the all-in pot. Like he kind of said, the Mark's never going to say that because he's too passionate. No. I get it. And he still has, well, and he still has a chunk of the team. A little so interest, still, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's got, he's got but, more than Lakeup's got. So, but but yeah, I think Shamoth kind of said what those guys have to be talking about nonstop. Like, what if this number? Let's just again pick an even number one. Let's just, mm. what if it goes to 88, which in any other business it would, but they yeah. keep acting like that number one is going to go, even if it goes to two, based on what? Yeah. Some unquantifiable value of inventory? Oh, what? That's kind of what I'm paying for because you're not bringing yeah. much else to the table. I mean, I guess it's just the idea that somebody will want to own all of it in perpetuity and make it their own and squeeze the value out of it. I'm talking about, I don't know, as some sort of Amazon or something. Yeah. But it's all sort of based. It is a bit of a fugazi. It's all based on this idea that we can make increasing amounts of money off something that people have diminishing interest in and your general take on it makes sense. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they announce that there's a new rights deal and it's for more money. That is the conventional wisdom, but if it's less, and I'm so, not acting like it has no value. I'm not acting like it's a no. zero, but I, I no, think I 100% push back that it's even going up. If you told me, yeah, that it's like somehow they could finagle getting like five people involved and keep the, the status quo going. I think that would be a major success. Yeah. I mean, it would not make be it 50, 60, 70 million dollars. How does it go <laughs> up when less people are watching? How's that possible? How does that pencil? I mean, I mean, it's it, it, it's fascinating that that's the expectation. Status quo would be viewed as a failure. Um, the conventional I think it'd be wisdom, a success. The, the conventional wisdom is what it is that it's going up. But we we could say this: if it goes down, we can't say there weren't signs. We can't say there weren't signs leading up to it all, and then there will be downstream effects of that because so many people have made so many bets and spent so much money on the idea that this just perpetuates. John, uh, this was excellent, man. Uh, tell us where to find you. Give us your uh, your, your plugs because you're doing a great job and uh, you're giving some of the best NFL coverage around. So where can we find you? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I put everything on uh, the social media streets of just my name at John Middlecoff, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Three and Out Podcast. Me and Colin go every Sunday night. Me and Guy uh, will have something after this Niner game. Uh, they play the Packers, what, Saturday night? Mm. Uh, of content all week long. So just uh, Three and Out Podcast, Haberman Middlecoff. We got, we got podcasts flowing. Oh, yeah. I'll be listening to that live one after Niners Packers, regardless of what happens. John, thanks so much, man. Thanks, Ethan.